We are in a study through the shortest two books of the New Testament, 2nd and 3rd John. So I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles toward the very back of your Bible, right before the book of Revelation. You'll find 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Jude, and we are in 2nd John. I'm actually going to uh, just focus this morning on verses 7 through 11, but just for the sake of getting the context of these verses uh, we are going to read the entire book up to that point, which normally would be kind of scary, but it's just six verses. So um, I'm going to read Second John, starting the read in verse 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were entreating to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as we have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. We've noted thus far in our study that the these three short letters penned by the Apostle John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, uh, were late letters written about eighty ninety, and uh, while the Apostle John was the human author of the Gospel of John toward the front of our New Testaments, these three were also penned by the Apostle. The first little letter, First John, was written to be received by a grouping of churches in an area. It's referred to as a circular letter. It would have gone from church to church to church. But this short letter, Second John, written as an addendum, uh, a follow-up to First John, is addressed to just one of those churches. And as John writes to this church in Second John, he's writing to a people who are under attack, most likely under attack from the government, suffering because they are Christians, but also under attack theologically. We know from the first letter of John, 1 John, that many of those who were part of these churches in this area have left and are denying the very fundamentals of the Christian faith. They are attacking 
Jesus Christ, saying that he did not take on humanity. And ultimately they are attacking the cross of Jesus Christ, questioning the very need for even having a Savior to die in our stead. And so John is deeply concerned. And he, in the first part of this letter, encourages his readers to do two things in the face of attack. Hold firm to the gospel and hold firm to each other. So he begins the letter by encouraging them to stay walking in the truth. Stay firm in your adherence to the simple message of the gospel that Jesus Christ is God. That he did take on humanity so that he could die in our place. And he rose again from the dead proving that he is God. And in the face of adversity, it's so important for us to stay firm to that message of the gospel. And secondly, John says, stay firm in your hold onto each other. Love each other. When we are faced with trial and forces from the outside pushing toward us, just like we are today as we see these rapid changes in our culture, and it's so easy for us to succumb to fear as we see things changing. It is so important for us to respond to that by being fervent in our love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And John defined that last week is obeying the commands of the New Testament. Meaning, to love each other means I have to forgive my brother or sister in Christ. To love each other means that I have to bear one another's burdens and continue to lift my brother or sister in Christ up in prayer. So John is saying, in the midst of these attacks, and in this time of the writing of Second John, these attacks from these false teachers, attacking the very person of Jesus Christ and his works. In the midst of that, hold firm to the gospel. Hold firm to each other. And against that backdrop, we come now to verses 7 through 11, where John is going to give a firm warning to his readers. He's going to say, be careful. These false teachers are on attack. Be careful. Take care for each other. Don't tolerate those who teach against the fundamentals of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, we live in a day where the key word is to be tolerant of each other. In today's world, that's defined as, I want you to be in agreement with me, but I'm not going to agree with you. Most people who are using the word tolerance, it's a crock, it's a sham. Here, John is saying, I want you to be intolerant. I want you to be intolerant of those who are attacking the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's an interesting study sometime. Go through the writings of the Apostle Paul and look at how many times Paul personally is attacked. And when he personally is attacked, 
He does not go on the offensive. But when the gospel is attacked, the apostle Paul goes on the offensive. He is not tolerant of attacks toward the message of Jesus Christ. I was born an Iowa kid, born in Des Moines. And at about age two or three, we temporarily moved out of state to the state of Indiana, where my father worked on a degree. And while we were in Indiana, my dad came home with a puppy. Now, this is about 1965. And those of you who were around in that area can probably guess what the number one puppy name was in America. Spot. And we named our dog Spot. Some of us will remember those famous books about Spot, like See, Spot, Run. Well, we named our dog Spot. And Spot was a great dog. Oh, it was just so nice and loved everybody. We always joked if we would have a predator, Spot would be of no help. He would just lick the predator. Well, I have a brother who's five school years older than me, and he had some friends over one afternoon, and they started to wrestle. And I think Spot thought one of those boys was hurting my brother, and Spot came up to that kid and grabbed hold of the seat of his pants and literally ripped a section right out of the seat of his pants. I found it quite amusing. When Spot sensed threat, he went on the offensive. And here, the Apostle John is saying there is a time for Christians to be on the offensive. There is a time for Christians to not be tolerant. And that is a time when people are attacking the very fundamentals of our faith. When people are attacking the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so that is John's warning. And he begins in verses 7 through 9 by saying basically this, that we must be on constant guard against those who are teaching falsehood about Jesus Christ. Notice that verse 7 in most of our English translations begins with a little connecting word. In my Bible, it's translated for. What that does is it connects verse 7 with the previous three verses, verses 4 through 6. In verses 4 through 6, John has been saying, in the face of, of outward attack, it's critical that we as a church family are loving each other. Well, why is that so important? Because, or for, verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. We have got to remain firm in our love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ because there are many out there who are attacking us. What do we do in the face of attack? We hold firm to the message of the gospel and we hold firm to each other by loving each other. 
And here, John is going to explain why it's so important that as a local church, we are loving each other in practical ways, in obedience, obeying things like forgiving each other when we've been offended. And so John says, this is important. Why? Because there are many deceivers who've gone out into the world. John says, this is dangerous. It's not one or two people. There are many of them. Many deceivers. People who want to lead you astray. And he explains what their message is in the second part of verse 7. These are those who do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. If you have a New Living Translation with you this morning, I like the way they translate this verse, that these are those that, that deny that Jesus came in a real body. Now see, around this period of time, 90 A.D., there were different schools of thought that in one way or another tied into an idea of dualism, meaning that there's a, a separation between the material and the spiritual. Material is bad, spiritual is good. And so these ones would be arguing that there's no way that the second person of the Godhead, that God could possibly take on humanity. If he did, it just appeared to look like it. Or if he did, it may have just been temporary. But they are denying that Jesus Christ took on humanity. Now, we know from the scriptures that the second person of the Trinity humbled himself left the throne room of heaven in obedience to the Father, came to earth being born of the Virgin Mary. And when he took on humanity, theologians refer to it as the hypostatic union, he took on humanity in such a way that he's all God and all man. 100% God and 100% man. Can we understand that in our minds? No. But that's what he did. And as the God-man, Jesus came to earth for one purpose, so that he could die as our substitute on the cross. Here, John is saying these ones are denying that Jesus came in a real body. It's very interesting in the original language in Greek that it's when it says Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh, it uses a present tense verb. It's saying that the union of deity and humanity has a continuing abiding reality, meaning that Jesus is still the God-man. Remember, when Jesus Christ died on that cross, he rose again from the dead. And while he has a new body, it is still a body that is a physical body. He is still in a physical body. Remember when Thomas was saying, well, I don't believe it's really him. What did Jesus say? You come and look at the nail prints. Feel the nail prints in my hands. 
it's the same type of body that you and I will have. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning there will be many more. So that when we rise from the dead, when Jesus Christ comes back for us, we will be recognizable to each other. And here, these ones are denying that Jesus even took on a human body. We know from the scripture that Jesus not only took on humanity, he is the God-man. He still is the God-man. And that when we see him, we will not just see spirit, we will see Jesus Christ, the same Jesus Christ, to which Thomas was able to look and see those nail prints. These false teachers are denying the incarnation. And ultimately, they are attacking the cross. Because if Jesus did not take on humanity, he would not have been able to die. die. And we know, little glimpses in First John, that these false teachers are even attacking the need for the cross. They are attacking the need that we have for a savior, for a substitute to pay the price for our sin. They are attacking the very person and work of Jesus Christ. John says in verse 7 at the end, this is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, I'm just going to turn quickly over to 1 John 2.18. It's not the first time we see a reference like that. In 1 John 2.18, John says, Children, it's the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From from this, we know that it is the last hour. Here, in 2 John, just like in 1 John, John is not saying that these false teachers are the Antichrist, the, the beast from the book of Revelation. They're saying they're doing the work of the Antichrist. They are doing the work of this one who will stand against Jesus Christ. They are doing the work of the deceiver, of Satan himself. They are doing the work of the Antichrist that will come in end times, the one that we refer to as the beast. Here, John is saying, these ones are dangerous. They are attacking the very person and work of Jesus Christ. Thus, verse 8, watch out. He says, watch yourselves. Be looking out for each other within the church family. He says, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. When he says that you do not lose what we have accomplished, he's not talking about losing your salvation. He's talking about losing Eternal reward. I think the best parallel to this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting to read in verse 11. And I'll just read that passage quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. John is saying, protect your church family. 
Watch out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been co-laborers together for each other. We don't want to see loss of eternal reward by the inroads of these false teachers hurting the church family, damaging the church family, maybe pulling away people who have not yet quite come to a point where they're totally realizing on the person of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. It's a real danger. In fact, John says it's so real in verse 9. He says, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. To reject the Son is to reject the Father. You cannot be in right relationship with God and not believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at some verses that talk very clearly about that in a moment. In a moment, John says, be careful. Watch yourselves for these ones who are on the tack. They are attacking the very person and the work of Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I was out turkey hunting with my turkey hunting buddy in the spring. And uh, it was a beautiful morning, and we were working some toms. Now, when you when you turkey hunt, most turkey hunters use a call that makes it sound like you are a hen, and you're trying to get the toms to come to you. Now, in the real world, what happens is the toms call, and the hens come to them. So you're kind of counterculture when you're turkey hunting. So we were calling these toms, and they were calling back, but they wouldn't come. They were just kind of staying about 40, 50 yards away in some brush. We couldn't get them to come. And we were watching our the time, and we said, man, we got to get on. I need to get to the office. My buddy needed to get to the office. And so my buddy says, okay, it's time for a full frontal assault. So on the count of three, we charged the turkeys, and it didn't work. (laughs) Full frontal assaults, turkey hunting, never work. They are too keen. They have too good of senses. It's so funny because... I could, that very hunting trip, I came home and, uh, in our ditch, there were about a half a dozen turkeys, and I rolled my pickup window down and they just looked at me. <laughs> Extremely frustrating. Well, one of the things that we see happening today is the person and work of Jesus Christ are still under assault, but not overtly. It's a covert assault. It's not a full frontal assault. We don't have people very much who claim to be Christians saying that Jesus Christ really didn't take on humanity or Jesus Christ really didn't need to go to the cross. We don't hear that much. But what we do hear is covert attacks against the person and work of Jesus Christ about which we need to be aware and we need to be guarding against within our own church family. Attacks on things like the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. 
People saying things like, well, as long as someone is seeking after God, they will go to heaven. Or that person in the rainforest of Irian Jaya, if they've never heard about Jesus, they'll still go to heaven. And yet Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 6, these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I am an exclusive pathway to the Father. I'm the only way. I'm the only way. And yet today, we hear those who claim to be followers of Jesus saying, well, that's pretty much true, but... There are circumstances where maybe somebody just hasn't had a chance to hear about Jesus. They'll still go to heaven. Ultimately, it's an attack against the very cross of Christ. Because it renders the cross not quite as important. We have others who are saying things like, well, God in the depths of his love really would not allow someone to go to hell. And so they would say that there's we're not to be taking those passages literally, that if a person dies in rejection of Jesus Christ, there's no such place as a place like hell where someone would spend the eternity apart from Christ in eternal torment. It's really not a valid concept. Again, an attack against the very cross of Christ because it nullifies the need for the cross. I mean, the worst that can happen to a person if they reject Jesus Christ is that they just cease to be. You see, those are not overt attacks against Christ. They're covert. But they're still attacks against the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And they're happening today. John here says, watch yourselves. Protect your brothers and sisters in Christ. To reject Jesus is to reject God. I'm going to turn back to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. And in chapter 5, verses 37 and 38, uh, Jesus says this, The Father who sent me, He has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor see his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. So Jesus is saying by rejecting him, by rejecting Jesus Christ, people are rejecting the testimony of the Father. To reject the Son is to reject the Father. 1 John chapter 2 starting to read in verse 21, says this. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. To reject Jesus Christ is to reject God. 
You cannot be in right relationship with God and not believe in the Son, in the person of Jesus Christ. John says, beware. There are many false teachers out there who are trying to lead you astray. Be on guard. Now, John moves to some very practical advice now in verses 10 and 11. He's going to apply this in in a hands-on way in 2 John verses 10 and 11. And this is what he writes. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. You must not endorse or support false teachers. That's John's message. Don't endorse them, don't support them. Now it's important for us to note here that we should not take this further than what John is saying. John is specifically talking about false teachers. He's not saying to avoid having someone in your home who doesn't believe in Jesus. He's not saying don't let somebody in your door who is caught up in false teaching. No, he's saying don't be an official platform for someone who is actively proposing false truth about Jesus Christ. Remember in this era that it would be quite common to have a itinerant philosopher or religious leader come to a city, let alone evangelical or, or uh, Christian teachers. And it was also quite common for that philosopher or that teacher to be hosted in a home, for to have someone practice hospitality. And in so doing, you would, in a sense, be... Uh, endorsing that person. This person is new to your town. By you bringing them into your home, you are saying, I support what this person is going to say. Listen to him. In our era, it would almost be like taking a political sign, promoting and endorsing a candidate, and putting it in your front yard. To host them is to endorse them. To invite them as a guest into your home where they will eat with you and sleep in your home. You are supporting them. In fact, here John says, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting like an official welcome. Welcome. This, my friends, is my friend. Listen to what he has to say. Why? For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. The Greek word translated participate there is from that that Greek word group based on the noun koinonia. Many of us are familiar with that term because we've been in churches where they have koinonia groups or fellowship groups. So here John is saying, if you endorse a false teacher or support a false teacher financially, even in opening up your home to them, you are sharing in their falsehood. You are taking part in their ministry. You are sharing or participating in their 
evil deeds. So John says simply this, don't endorse or support a false teacher. Pretty soon we will start getting requests here at Faith Bible Church for weddings to be hosted in our facility next spring and summer and fall. It's just that time of year. Those those guys finally get up enough guts to ask their girlfriends to marry them. And sometimes we have a request, well, can we have this visiting clergy person come in and either do the wedding or be part of the wedding? And at times we allow that, but we require a clergy person, a clergyman coming in, to doing a wedding, to be in agreement with our abbreviated doctrinal statement as it appears on the back of our bulletin. So if you look there, it's an abbreviated doctrinal statement, but it talks about the bare essentials of our faith, most of which those points talk about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we interview that person. Who is Jesus? What has he done and if, if, if they would say that Jesus is God and he died on the cross and rose again from the dead, we will follow up and say, well, how is that payment for sin attributed, accounted to an individual's life? And if the person does not, is not in agreement with us on those bare essentials of the person and work of Jesus Christ, we do not allow them to take part in that wedding. Why? Because we would actually be sharing in their false teaching. And so we find John here saying, don't receive that person who is attacking the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't receive them into your home. Now, again, it's important for us to remember John's talking about false teachers here. He's not talking about someone who's gotten caught up in false teaching that you want to reach out to and share the love of Jesus with. He's talking about those who are actively promoting falsehood. Don't support them. Don't endorse them. I take these verses literally. For example, if we have Jehovah Witnesses come to our door or Mormons, uh, when the last time I've had Jehovah Witnesses come to my door, I don't say, come on in. I will talk with them out on our front porch. And I always say, if I'm going to talk with you, I'm going to get a copy of the word uh, of the Bible out of my house because we're not going to look up passages in yours because they actually change the wording of those verses that talk about Jesus actually being God. But I won't invite them in because I don't want my neighbors thinking that it's okay to have this person who does not believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ as the Bible defines it. I don't want my neighbors to see that person coming into my home thinking, well, if they had them in, I guess I'll have them in. But I'll share truth with them. Here, John says, be very careful. Don't, don't host. Don't endorse. Don't support someone who's attacking the very fundamentals of the Christian faith. We are to be at times intolerant. And one of the times we are called to intolerance it's times and those who teach 
about God, but deny the truth of Jesus Christ. You see, if you deny the truth of Jesus, you deny the truth of God. And John here says, don't tolerate that. That's false teaching that will hurt you. Beware. You may be here this morning, and when we talk about entering into right relationship with God, that may not be something you're familiar with. It may be uh, you don't understand that. I would encourage you, uh, after the service is done, you can stop back at our prayer room. One of our elders will be back there. We've got some material that we can just hand to you. You can take out your own Bible and look up passages of Scripture that show you that Jesus is God, that how he died for you, and how his death and resurrection can be applied to your life so that you can know for sure that your sin is forgiven and that you're in right relationship with God. Or maybe you're here today and you're hurting, and you just need to spend some time praying. I encourage you to go back to the prayer room when the service is done. Father, we thank you for the simple message of the gospel and the reminder of when we find ourselves in a position as a church where the pressures from the outside are pressing in, that we need to hold on to the gospel and hold on to each other. And we thank you for this warning this morning about being careful against those who deny the very essentials of our faith the truth of Jesus and his work, the need to watch out and protect each other from falsehood. We thank you that Jesus is exclusive, that he is the only way, the truth and the life, and the only way to you because you designed it that way. We thank you that our hope rests solely and the cross work of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.